If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. Welcome to Back in America, the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Back in America, a podcast questioning America's identity, culture, and value. And I'm your host, Stan Bertolo. My guest today is an aspiring journalist from Los Angeles. And Back in America's new intern. Yes, an intern. I'm very happy to welcome Josh Wagner as an editor on our team. Josh, you're here to talk about an amazing experience you had working at a polling station last week. You were frontline at an historical time, working to help gather the vote during an incredible election in the midst of a pandemic. As part of our podcast team, you took your mic and conducted several interviews that we are going to discuss soon. But before we do that, let's talk about you, Josh. Who are you? Hi, I'm Josh. I'm a Scorpio. I just graduated from Stanford with a major in English, concentrating mostly on musical aesthetics. I'm really interested in how music affects the human brain, art history, and poetry. Um, while at Stanford, I bounce around a bunch of different majors, symbolic systems, American studies, comparative literature. Um, I also was a cheerleader at football games. I played jazz saxophone and edited for our campus newspaper. And I'm just really excited to be here. I was very impressed with your portfolio, Josh, and I've posted a link to it in this episode's note. I noticed that you've often written about art. One piece was even published in the Art Now LA. Can you tell us about it? I think I've always been very interested in what it means to live among art, not only to just go to a gallery, museum, and look at a painting for a few minutes or maybe an hour at most, but to just have a more personal interaction. I find your piece really interesting. Talking about your writing, another piece that you wrote was about your experience leaving the pressure that the school system puts on students in this country. And I was pretty shocked moving uh, to Princeton five years ago to notice how much pressure a uh, student had. And um, just in a few years, we experienced several suicide at school. So that's quite terrible. You've written an opinion piece on what it's like to be a Stanford kid. Do you want to talk about how you felt this pressure impacted your own life? I think, obviously, if you ask any college student, any millennial, they can tell you about the amount of pressure um, there just is to succeed in the world and have some kind of level of success. And I think coming to Stanford, I was built shocked by how normal it was. Um, of course, there's always that 12-year-old genius in your math class, but by and large, everyone there seems very normal, put together. But alongside that normalcy, there was this like in, uh, incredible like um, struggle with mental health. Uh, wherein, like, I felt in, like in high school, I, I knew some people who were struggling with problems uh, in terms of their mental health. But at Stanford, it just was so pervasive. And even even myself, I throughout Stanford, I had developed an anxiety disorder. And I think that was very common for lots of my friends there. Um, and I think that especially at Stanford, which is a very tech oriented school, it's hard to find your own place as a humanity student. I think it's getting better, uh, it has gone better over the last few years, but I think because there's no vision of like what the Stanford student is, there's a lot of personal freedom and choice you have, which is really amazing opening on one hand, but on the other, it's it's very crushing. Um, and so I'm, when I was an undergrad, 
few months ago, I would be bouncing like eight different clubs. I would go from cheerleading practice that ended at 10 p.m. straight to on the Stanford Daily where I'd be editing to 1 a.m. and I'd be up the next morning at 8 a.m. for a philosophy class. And this the amount of things that you're expected to do is so insane and incredible and that you're supposed to be good at all of them. And that it just strains the economy of being a Dylan Tom, doing everything, but also doing it really well. And I think especially at Stanford, which suffers from like an, a, a somewhat lackluster uh, mental health uh, facility, this potentially calls to reinvigorate the number of counselors they have for students. And alongside you, you always have these active lawsuits about sexual assault um, claims that are often go unreported or uh, unpunished. I think Brock Turner might be the biggest case of this. And I think it's compounding the pressure to get a job, succeed, the pressure to do all these different things alongside the pressures being at a university for a thousand strangers who you don't really know. It all combines to create this perfect storm. You've interviewed several persons. How many were there and who were they? I spoke to about six people, um, three uh, voters at the music center and three poll workers who were working alongside me. Okay, let's hear from Emily Salas. She's a high schooler at Magnet High School. My AP government teacher, she introduced me to like the poll elections mm-hmm. and the whole thing about like being able to work here despite the fact that I'm not able to vote. Yeah. So I decided to give it a try because I kind of want to work in the foreign service field. Mm-hmm. And this is something kind of related to like government. My name is Christine Madrano. Um, I am Canadian, but I also have American citizenship. Um, and I am uh, here uh, because I thought it was important to be a part of and contribute in any way I could to having a fair and safe election. Mm-hmm. And here's my boss, Harold. Before the March election, I was building the BMDs and setting up the e-poll books, going around different centers, setting them up, different recreations and schools and gyms and all that. And so I guess they called me back because they like my performance. So we heard, uh, thanks to you, Josh, some very interesting comments from the volunteers. Traditionally, pool walkers are 60 and over. Was that the case this year? Not at all. Um, I think there were a few older folks who were volunteering, but by and large, it skewed definitely towards younger demographics. There were high schoolers there who couldn't even vote, like Emily. There were law students. There were a lot of college students, young professionals. And this is probably like the youngest group of people I think I've seen. I mean, we have high schoolers, people who are not even able to vote. And so that's very encouraging. And I think that everyone who's been at the polling center so far have been... I don't know, it seems like they're they're all hopeful and um, civically engaged. So how do you explain the shift this year? I think, like me, lots of um, millennials and young people were worried that the polls would be staffed by an older population who would be at risk for COVID. We saw that back at primaries in March. Um, and so I think that a lot of people took on themselves to want to get out in the community and volunteer. And also, I think a lot of us are stuck at home, not doing too much. And so it's felt like a, a nice break to have some kind of human interaction and get out of the house every morning. Josh, how did it feel to walk in a world-class concert hall for two weeks? It was amazing to just go behind the scenes and see what it's like to be in this building that's been shuttered from essentially the public since uh, last April. Um, it was such like a, a fancy experience, whereas I think the polling centers that I know growing up were in someone's house were very small. 
Um, and it was just wild to see about 40 or 50 throwing machines all in one place, a staff of 30 poll workers, and just like the scale maybe uh, astounded me. And I do feel lucky to be able to be stationed at a center that is beautiful, but it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, it does feel like, you know, asking people to climb up an ivory tower to be able yeah. to, to vote because it's out of the way. There's no one around here. There's office buildings only. You have to park. You have to get out of your car. You have to walk. I mean, I did have a friend who who came and I mean, I've had a few friends who, who, who came to the voting center and they were all like, it's if it wasn't for the lack of a line, I don't think I would recommend people come here. Specifically, it was in this area of downtown where you're seeing, um, you know, we're right across from Disney concert, concert Hall, from condos that are being unbuilt condos that are slowly being put up. And yet on the, you know, different parts around here, we have people who are unhoused who are sleeping. And so it is so weird to be around these empty, ornate places, having size sky, like another skyscrapers being built for no one to live in because we're all so empty while we have like a housing problem that is only growing under Eric Garcetti, who's not doing anything. We've had so many failed programs to help the homeless. It kind of just seems strange that, I don't know, to have all these like shuttered, beautiful places that no longer have the functionality that they once had, be surrounded by people who are unhoused and don't have access to the funding that like this had. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm sure like how many, how many tax dollars went into this empty yeah. building that now sits empty and will sit empty for months on end. But it's also like had some, you look on the walls and you see all the people that have donated money and it's like Rolex and these are rich people. And I don't know, it kind of like reminds you that like the arts are important, obviously, but you also have to like think about services that people need to be able to access more readily. I don't know. That would just be my thoughts. But it is weird to know that like. I don't know what to, I don't know what we should do with these spaces. I mean, I guess polling center is a good idea for one of them, but um, I mean, it's going to sit empty here for for more months. So, allegation of fraud really made front page every day during the election. Do you believe that you were well protected against fraud? Yeah, I felt very safe. Um, I'm not even sure how someone would try to commit fraud. The process is very straightforward. Everyone who is registered to vote has a record with the county. And if someone tries to vote twice or to vote when they shouldn't, it'll pop up on our machines. And when there, even if there is some kind of ambiguity, um, anyone can come in and vote provisionally. And the county over the next 30 days will verify with uh, other kinds of records to ensure that people who are supposed to uh, be voting can actually vote. Likewise, my boss, Harold, thought that the vote center was very efficiently run and there wasn't really an opportunity for anyone to commit election fraud. The team that I work with, everybody's like like minded. They realize that we all work good together. Mm -hmm. So and everybody's multitasking. So if, you know, they could do multiple things than just one thing. Yeah. So I like the team that I actually have at the music center. I wouldn't change them for nothing. Mm. And um, that's what makes it easier. So I haven't really had no um, no kind of complications. No, mm. no, nothing, because everybody is like um, willing to help each other fix problems or solutions that come up and the lead. I'm the second 
it's two lead assistants and then it's two leads mm -hmm. and we all working together with our electoral workers and we have figured out a system and we haven't had a problem yet so far so it's been actually kind of great so was it what you expected coming in not at all um i think seeing how it tenses the election process was i thought i'd be overrun with voters i'd be running around being really stressed about not knowing how machines worked or how i get people to vote but we were well trained there weren't a lot many voters coming in the door and so it's a much more laid-back experience than i was kind of almost hoping for from other sites that they were not as well run either they were understaffed they had much longer lines and you'd hear about sizing glendale Uh, a pain museum in West LA that have wait, had waits of up to two to three hours and people were quitting their job because this traffic was so much. Um, and also places had issues with the Wi-Fi, the issues um, running out of stickers, they ran out of ballots. Um, but I didn't experience any of that in my site. It's new to everybody, actually. So, um, yeah, but I like it, though. It's kind of, uh, for the older people, mm -hmm. it seems hard because they, when you think they hear future or yeah. electronics, they like, I don't want to deal with it. But mm -hmm. if they really use the system they'll mm -hmm. see how easy and it works for them instead of them having to figure it out it's basically yeah. self-explanatory even voters like retail manager august Pauly, figure out how to use the machines when i came in i was kind of confused also it, it was pretty simple though it was easily like i had everything prepared anyways with all my answers but then once i was inside i kind of just like clicked and sped through it and it literally only took me like a minute or two and then picked it out yeah. i expected it to be incredibly busy mm -hmm. i guess based on everything that i'd seen in the news you yeah. heard about like long lines and people not being able to vote and it's kind of been a little underwhelming actually mm -hmm. i mean maybe things will change in election day but i definitely expected there to be just like a longer just be more people i thought we'd yeah. be kind of interacting more with people i thought it would be kind of like a steady flow mm -hmm. of people that we were going to help vote i mean i'm very happy to be here and still contribute i just thought it would be um i thought it there would feel like there was a greater need for us to all be here so do you remember any voter in particular anybody struck you um i think for the most part most of the voters who came and went didn't say my memory um i think I actually processed uh, an house voter who came into the center, which I thought was a little bit remarkable and surprising. Um, I thought being in downtown LA near Skid Row, we would have a higher percentage of unhoused people coming in to vote. Um, but also when this when this man came in, I was not really trained on how to process him. Um, I was almost unprepared um, to do so because your ballot is tied to your physical address. And I wasn't sure what to do with someone who... Um, didn't have a stable address. We were you were saying that the other day that you had someone who was unhoused who came and voted yeah. and that they didn't have to put in their address. I didn't I didn't even know the processes through which they could vote. And I wonder if they knew know about the access and accessibility that they have and the right to vote that they have, even if they don't have an address, even if they didn't receive their ballot, you know, because they're dealing with other things that they are maybe more urgent to them, you know, like finding housing, finding food, finding stay, like staying alive, staying safe on the streets and not being able to have the ease of mind maybe to be able to go and worry about these things, not things that are not civically engaged. Because I do think that there, there is an organization that's happening among unhoused people mm -hmm. that I see more and more. I see it, you know, with Street Watch LA, with different organizations and mutual aids that you see popping up around Los Angeles and that are giving 
more people kind of like, um, well, that are like kind of taking away the stigma of being unhoused specifically during a pandemic, because I feel like, I mean, I don't know when our eviction moratorium or wherever it ends, I feel like it's only gonna, numbers are only going to go up. So I think that if we, if they knew that they had access to voting, I think that we'd see more people coming in. So what about COVID-19? Were you afraid you might catch it walking over there? What kind of procedure did you take to avoid it? Going in, uh, I was also very, I was very concerned about catching COVID-19. Um, my parents were in LA and I visited them and I was very worried that I would somehow give them the virus. Um, but after arriving that first day, I realized that just how much physical space we had in the music center. We had two floors to spread everyone out. There we had six feet distance between each of the little um, check-in stations. And just the fact that there weren't actually that many voters coming in the door made me, on the one hand, feel kind of sad that I was more involved in the process, but also relieved that it was a far lower risk of getting COVID. And also everyone was um, given PPE, we had face shields, we had gloves, we had masks, we had a lot of hand sanitizer and wipes wiped down every single surface. And I think because of that, I wasn't really concerned at all about COVID-19 and I think that's a sentiment that's been shared uh, among a lot of the poets there, including Christine, who we'll hear from now. I'm wondering, did your own political views factor in your day-to-day activities, Josh? Not especially. Um, I think for me, there's a little cognitive dissonance between um, being more of a leftist and supporting Biden and knowing that people I'm helping register, people I'm helping vote. Um, some of them are definitely voting for Donald Trump and for propositions that I don't believe in. But at the same time, I have to remember that I'm helping just as many people vote for Joe Biden and that really I want to uphold a democratic process and people need to be able to have make their voices heard. Um, though I think I, it, it does strike me as strange knowing that people I'm helping vote um, might not vote on all the ballots or they might only vote in presidential race or they might not vote in that race at all. And I'm not quite sure what to do with those two extremes wherein I don't want to electioneer, I don't want to commit some kind of legal activity where I, I advocate for a candidate or a policy. But on the other hand, I want people to vote on everything down the ballot, not just in the presidential race. And so I think for a large part, I couldn't really say anything to the voters. There, there, there's no line here. It was really easy. I was the only one in there, actually. Um, so that was, it was very quick. It's probably because I came at night and everyone came in the morning. Um, but it was very, very seamless. Um, maybe I could, it would be better if it was more confidential. I feel like when I was filling out my information part and I was asking for my political affiliation, mm-hmm. um, it was a little bit open. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt a little bit uncomfortable there, but other than that, everything was pretty good. Everything was great, easy. Have you ever been concerned about your safety? I think a lot of the poll workers, myself included, were worried that there'd be riots on election night, that we have a lot of poll watchers coming in and threatening us. But really, I think our concerns were a little bit dramatic and over the top. Um, I think only on election day was there any kind of uh, protest planned. And even throughout the week, there were uh, unrelated protests. We're right next to um, Superior Court downtown, and there were several actions committed there. But it was very peaceful. Um, there was All our concerns were essentially unwarranted, which I'm very glad to report. About. I don't know. I mean, I went out... The night that Donald Trump was uh, yeah. elected, I remember the day after, like, 
taking to the streets and protesting and it didn't feel that safe then. And I feel like if anything, the police are even more emboldened to know that they can get away with doing whatever they want. So I do worry about protesters or anything that happens post-election and whether the people will be safe and if they are like arrested or things like that. I worry about that, I guess, more post-election things and actually working the poll. What did you learn about the electoral process? I think the main thing I learned was just how votes are counted and tabulated and the kind of the responsibility that each side has. Um, at the end of the day, if we had more votes, people who came in or not enough votes, we have to figure out what went wrong, how we double counted, um, how someone printed out a ballot, but they wanted to change their votes. And so too, they, ha they had to avoid that ballot and, have, and redo the whole voting process. Um, and so I think I learned more about the more bureaucratic and managerial side of the electoral process. Um, and I have no idea what happens to the votes or how they get counted after they leave our site. And so I think I gained more insight into the like day-to-day -day interaction of, with a voter um, than the electoral process in general. Um, but I think that as my poker could attest better than I, um, it was just amazing to see the people who were coming in. Many of them were first-time voters uh, and just to be able to help them out was just a really heartwarming experience. And I think Emily feels similarly. I actually would do it again. I probably would recommend to my other friends to do it. Um, because of the experience, you know, being able to help people, even though at our age, especially the younger people, mm -hmm. like the younger age group, don't tend to vote as much as other yeah. um, groups. So it also gives you that kind of familiarity with being able to vote and m most likely you know, being able to vote once you once you do turn 18. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, it's probably not the primary, the, I mean, the most important sure. factor, but um, it also, like, gives you money, so yeah, <laughs> that's another. Nice. Like, in case you probably need money, especially right now, um, since it's, like, COVID and a lot of, a lot of employee, employments have, yeah, um, yeah, there's, like, not a lot of employments right now, so, you know, it does kind of help in a sense. The other day I checked in a young girl who was voting for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so that was very exciting to me because I think that, I think just seeing like all of the young people who were being engaged and seeing like poll workers who were not <laughs> even like old enough to vote, giving their weekends to come and participate in this process has been that, I mean, I think, I think, I think I'll remember that for a long time of just kind of like how I think, there are still, even though it's easy to like lose faith in this country, that there are people who are still wanting to be part of the process or like they know that they're next in line to be able to vote, who want to contribute in a way now, even though they can't vote. I think that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. Thank you, Josh, for sharing your experience during this election. I think it's really fascinating to see uh, the other side of the curtain. Now, let me ask you my traditional question. What is America to you, Josh? I think that when it comes down to it, America is really a fiction. Um, I think at the voting center, I saw just a bunch of people from all different backgrounds, from all different countries, all different walks of life coming together to do um, a lot for our, our electoral process to function. And I think what you see there is that there's nothing really connecting these people besides physical geography. And that what America is today is far less um, 
a physical point in space or time than those interactions that that space allows. Uh, and so I think America is more the precondition for a kind of social interaction um, where people, like I have no idea what it's like to vote or live in Iowa in any other city. I feel my understanding of America is very localized and I feel very uh, decentralized and cut off from what it's like to be in any other part of the country. And so I think that's why I say there's something very fictional about uh, what it means to be American because it can include so many disparate experiences that it seems like laughable to boil it down to just one word. Thank you. It's really interesting. Where do you see your future to be now? <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, my mom keeps asking me the same thing. Uh, I think I would like to continue my academic work in English, um, continue studying the romantics and poetry. But I think beyond that, I really am interested in becoming a journalist and especially interested in local news. Um, I think that there's a lot of attention paid to The Atlantic, New York Times, the LA Times, all these big Uh, newsroom that has survived the last 30 years when the industry is really uh, taking a, a hit. Uh, but I'm really interested in the resurgence of quality local news um, across the nation. And I hope to contribute to that. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for this interview. And I'm very excited to have you as an intern in the Back in America team. Good luck to you, Josh. Thanks, Dan. And thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> <laughs>